You'll notice the stage looks a little bit different this morning, looks a, a little bit better, get to take advantage of the decorations and uh, from the Ladies' Inspirational Weekend, which I understand was very inspirational. And for all the women that uh, planned that and, and made it happen and everyone that supported it, uh, I want to thank you for that. It's going to wrap up actually at class time. And I really want to encourage you to be at class today, even if you're not used to going to Bible class. Uh, something real special planned. It's already been announced. The women are going to be in here. The men are going to be in the Family Life Center. And uh, you will be encouraged and you'll be blessed if, if you take a, uh, advantage of that this morning. I want to begin today by telling you a story that is a true story. It happened 36 years ago. It happened to me 36 years ago. Martha and I were dating. We were not yet married. She was living in Birmingham, Alabama. I went to visit her there. It was a Sunday. We wanted to have lunch with her grandmother, who lived on another different part of uh, the city. So we needed to go to church someplace that got out in time for us to be able to spend lunchtime with her grandmother. So we chose the congregation that was close to where her grandmother lived, had an early service, and that's what we decided to attend. You know, it's kind of funny why you remember things that you remember about worship experiences. I vividly remember this worship experience had nothing to do with the preacher, the singing, or anything like that, but I remember it. We walk into a very large, traditional church building, you know, the long aisles and long pews. We sit down where good Church of Christ kids are supposed to sit down when you're visiting, you know, one pew south of center. So we're not sitting in the back, but we're certainly not sitting in the front. Now, it's pretty empty in this building, there's no one sitting in five rows in front of us or five rows behind us. And up until this point, not one person had spoken to us. We'd gotten out of our car, we came in, we sort of, you know, wandered around a little bit, found the auditorium, sat down. No one had spoken to us. In fact, not lost on even me as a kid. So we're sitting there together and a woman walks up to where we were sitting. I'm on the outside, uh, sitting by the, by the aisle. And I assume she's about to welcome us, introduce herself. Glad you're here. Uh, she wasn't. She looked down at me and Martha and said, you're sitting in my seat. The very first thing anybody said to us in this whole place is this woman saying, you're sitting in my seat. Now, I wasn't quite as kind and gentle 36 years ago as I am today. I've actually grown a little bit in that long way to go. But what I wanted to say to that woman was, well, if you wanted to sit here, you should have got here on time. What I wanted to say to that woman was, is that why no one else sits in this whole area? Because this is your seat. What I wanted to say was, ten bucks and I'll move, lady. What I wanted to say was, okay, you sit in your seat. I will sit in mine, in my car, leaving this place, never to return. But I didn't have a chance to say any of that. Instead, Martha says, oh, we're sorry, we'll move. And I'm like, what? Why should we move? We're the visitors for crying out loud. But Martha's already scooted down a couple places, so I follow her, and I'm like, no, way down, way down. Keep going. No, it's an empty pew, so we go all the way to the other end. We sit down. Now, church is just beginning. Someone is standing up saying, boy, we're glad you're here, especially our visitors. And I'm thinking, assuming the visitors are sitting in the right place, you know. Well, this lady on the other end starts to get a little bit uh, self-conscious, I think. I think her conscience starts bothering her. Because I can see out of my peripheral vision, she keeps looking at me. 
Her husband has come and sat down, I guess in his place, and she turns over and she talks to her husband, and then she looks back at me, and she talks to her husband, looks back at me, and then she decides to come over and speak to me. And, and it's a whole pew now, and it's just, she's doing the crouch thing, you know. Because church has started. And I'm thinking, lady, we're done. We're done. We're good. But she sits down beside me, and, and she's whispering, and she says, I feel really badly about asking you to move. I'm sorry about that. It's just we've sat in this same seat for 25 years. I, I apologize for that. And I'm like, that's fine. No big deal. I'm never coming back here. Uh, I'm not going to ever see you again anyway. It doesn't matter. We're good. And so she introduces herself. And I whisper back to her, my name is Tim Stutzman. She whispers to me, I have a cousin who lives in Pennsylvania named Enola Stutzman. Are you kidding me? You mean I am somehow related to this crazy woman? Of all the pews and all the churches and all the world, I sit down in this one. Now again, what I should have said was, I don't know any enormous Stutzman. Instead, what I whispered to her was, that's my mother. And this woman yells, and I mean yells, you're Enola Stutzman's son? And she looks back and says, Bob, this is Enola Stutzman's son. Bob doesn't care. He's sound asleep. He's in his favorite chair. She says, let me give you a hug. And I'm like, no, you do, I, I don't want a hug. You do not have to hug me. We're good. I'm telling you. Well, she doesn't give me a hug so much as she puts me in a headlock. I can't believe I'm sitting by Enola Stutzman's son. I love your mother. And of course, everyone in this place is staring at us. The guy who's making announcements has stopped and he's staring at us. It was incredibly embarrassing. She gets back up, you know, kind of pulls down her dress. Now she's walking, you know, tall and proud, back to her seat. And before she sits down, she looks and makes an announcement to no one in particular, but to everyone in general. I know him. And she sat down. And I thought, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Trust me, if you knew anything about me, what just happened would not have happened. Well, I'm sure you noticed when you walked in this morning. If not, you see it on the screen. We are beginning a brand new sermon series this morning on the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Three books written by the Apostle John. I'm really excited about it. Uh, these books are some, have some of the most beautiful writing that you'll read anywhere in Scripture. They are filled with really powerful, practical, life-changing applications. And John is going to talk about knowing Jesus. And John is going to talk about his desire for us to know Jesus. John is often referred to as the Apostle of Love, and for a good reason. John knew about love. He experienced love. He showed love. And he wrote about it beautifully in these three little epistles that bear his name, as well as the Gospel of John, as, as well as the book of Revelation. Now, my seemingly demented uh, distant relative claimed to know me, but she didn't know me at all. John says, I know Jesus. In fact, he's going to talk a lot about knowing in this book. The word know 
actually is going to show up 42 times in the book of 1 John alone. It's a short book. John wants us to know. He wants us to have an assurance. He wants us to live a life of confidence. He wants us to know God. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to know God's will for our lives. In the book of 1 John, John begins by wanting us to know that, that we have a spiritual heritage. We have a great spiritual heritage. And maybe you've never thought of that. Maybe you never really thought very much about your spiritual heritage. Or if you have, you think, well, it's pretty short or, you know, it's kind of bleak. But John wants us to understand that regardless of what kind of heritage might have been passed down to you from your, your grandparents or your parents, John says, if you know Jesus Christ, you have this tremendous spiritual heritage. Here's how he begins his letter. The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He's Jesus Christ, the word of life. And I like to picture John sitting at a desk, writing this letter. Kind of an older, wiser John by this time. You know, how do I begin this letter? What do I say? How do, how do I begin my thoughts? And John begins by basically telling us, I know what I'm talking about here. I know Jesus. I've seen him. I've met him. I tasted the water that got turned into wine. I was on the boat when he said, peace be still. I was there when he called Lazarus out of the grave. gospel by talking about John the Baptist. Luke begins his gospel with the beautiful story of the birth of Jesus. Do you remember how John begins the gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word, capital W. Verse 14, it says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John wants you to know, he wants us to know that Jesus has always been. Jesus is eternal. When God spoke the world into existence, Jesus was there. When God created Adam and Eve, Jesus was there. When Moses split the Red Sea, Jesus was there. From the very beginning, Jesus was there. And as John opens this little book of 1 John, he wants you to know that you are dealing with a God with a tremendous track record. Take a look at verse 3. Back in 1 John now. We're telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this, these things so that our joy will be complete. John wants us to know that he knows Jesus. I mean, he knows Jesus. And he wants us to know also that we can have fellowship with each other. And it's even better than that. John wants us to know that we can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. He wants our joy to be complete. 
And again, I don't know what kind of spiritual roots you might have from an earthly standpoint, but this morning I want you to appreciate the spiritual roots and the heritage that you have in Christ. Because the Bible says it is a rich, rich heritage. Our heritage is in the Lord. And once we understand that, and kind of start wrapping our minds around that, it really does kind of change the way you look at life. If you miss everything else that, that, that I might say today, don't miss this. John wants us to know that you have a tremendous, you serve a God with a tremendous track record. We serve a God who has always done what he said he would do. We are the beneficiaries of an eternity of kept promises. If God said it, he did it. If God promises it, it will come true. Think about that. Think of your spiritual heritage that's in Christ. And then John's going to kind of introduce another theme to his writing, a theme that he's going to build on. And it's a theme that is going to be some of the best news that you'll find anywhere in Scripture. John says, we need to walk in the light. And I'll tell you one thing that I've really come to appreciate about John. John is in the habit of preaching the same things that Jesus preached. John is in the habit of teaching the same things that Jesus taught. And I don't know if all preachers are like me or not, but I suspect they are in this regard. Sometimes I struggle with what to preach next. And it's not because I don't have enough information or material. It's just the opposite. Now, there, there's like 30 things swirling around in my mind. Because this would be a perfect uh, sermon series. We need, to, we need to speak on this. We need to talk about this. And then I've got you know 100 people telling me, you need to preach on this. So there's plenty of information and plenty of material and, you know, the struggle is, okay, where do I go next? And I appreciate the fact that John so often preached what Jesus preached. And I try to remember that. If I can preach what Jesus preached, I'm going to be on pretty firm set, pretty firm uh, footing. So John says in verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. There it is. John says, this isn't my message. This is Jesus' message. I'm just passing it on. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Scientifically, John's on to something here. Scientifically, John's spot on. You know, darkness isn't really a property. You can't make something more dark. You can't add, well, you can, but you can't do it by adding darkness. How do you, how do you make something more dark? You take away light. You can't add darkness to something. All you can do is take away light. So scientifically, John's right on point, but he's not thinking scientifically. He's thinking spiritually. And spiritually, John is right on point. Remember back in the, the most famous uh, sermon that we have recorded of Jesus, the one we talk about the most, Sermon on the Mount. Remember how Jesus opened that? He opens it with Beatitudes. But then he goes on to say, You are the light of the world. City set on a hill can't be hidden. Men don't light a light and put it under a lamp. Instead, they put it on a table where it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says you are the light of the world. We're to light up the world with the love of Jesus. John says 
You need to be walking in the light. And then John says, if you do, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, John says, God's going to do something amazing. I want you to look again at verse 7. It's worth underlining in your Bible. If you don't have any verse in your Bible underlined, I would suggest you underline this one. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. One of the greatest verses in all Scripture. And John makes it clear that walking in the light goes hand in hand with fellowship. And it goes hand in hand with forgiveness. Can't separate the two. Now here's here's the great thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness kind of breeds in us a a spirit of, of kindness and compassion and mercy. Now, when we begin to understand how much we have been forgiven, it's a whole lot easier to be forgiving to other people. When we begin to understand how much grace has been offered to us, it's a lot easier to be graceful. When we begin to understand how much mercy has come our way, we can treat other people much more mercifully. John wants you to know that we need to be walking in the light, not living in darkness. Forgiveness brings people together in such incredible ways. But John also wants to know that before we can experience forgiveness, we're going to have to come to grips with our sin. And he's really upfront about that. We've got to come to grips with our sin. You know, the church sometimes gets uh, criticized because you don't talk enough about sin, and maybe that's legitimate criticism. But I know this, Jesus talked a lot about sin, and John is going to talk a lot about sin. Kind of like the Sunday school teacher with the first graders who asked her kids the question, what's the first thing we have to do to be forgiven of our sins? The little six-year-old boy raised his hand and said, well, first you've got to sin. How many of us have got that first step down pretty well? Yeah, we got that one, right? We got the first step out of the way, so, so now we can move on to the next step. And John's going to give us the next step. In fact, this is where it really gets practical. 1 John 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John says, if you're saying that you don't sin, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. And then you skip down to verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our hearts. John says in verse 8, if we say we have not sinned, we're liars. In verse 10, if we claim we haven't sinned, We're making God out to be a liar. Now, it doesn't take a a Ph.D. in theology to understand what John is telling us here. We've all sinned. Everyone has sinned. That's a problem. And the better we become to get to understand God, and the better we begin to understand sin and the consequences of sin, and the destruction of sin, the, the, the problem gets bigger. But in between verse 8 and verse 10 is, I think, the best sentence in the whole book. John says this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John makes it clear a pivotal part of forgiveness is confession. A pivotal part of walking in the light is confessing our sins. 
being up front with God about who we are and what we are. And actually, I don't want to go Greek on you here, but the Greek word that John is using here for confession actually means to agree with, to see the same as. You think, well, how, what, you know, how does that correlate to confession? What John is saying is we need to see our sin the same way God sees our sin. We need to agree with God about our, sinful, our sinfulness the same way that God sees our sinfulness. We need to see our sinful behavior the same kind of way that God views our sinful behavior with its destructive nature, how serious it really is. Confession's not just about spitting a bunch of words out of your mouth. It's agreeing with God that you feel the same way about your sin that He feels about it. It's not blaming something else for you know, what you've done or, or, or what's going on in your life. It's not, well, it's His fault. You know, if it wasn't for Him, it's her fault. Or you know, it's a situation that's got me so crazy. John says, if that's your story and you're sticking to it, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Confession is seeing my sin as God sees my sins. And when you figure that out, John says, you can begin to walk in the light. And then you've got to do one other thing. Someone once said that he who is alone with sin is alone. You've got to turn that over to God. That sin, the, the, those, those things that you know this is against God's will, you've got to turn that over to the Lord. John says, I want you to know, I want you to know that you can trust God to forgive you. I want you to know that we serve a God who sort of specializes in forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 teaches us that. To trust God to forgive. Look again at it. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. I said that that sentence, that verse, might be the best sentence, the best verse in the whole book. And here's why I say that. There's a tremendous amount of great teaching in there. But here's why I think that's probably the best sentence in the whole book. And it hinges on three little words. He is faithful. John wants us to know that he is faithful. That God is faithful. One of the real keys to understanding my sin and God's grace and how someone like me could ever have a relationship with someone like him is realizing and buying into the fact that he is faithful. God says it. God means it. God has never gone back on a promise. God's word is true. Listen, if you're wrestling with something this morning, or maybe some shame of something you've done, or some guilt that's in your life, and you know that it's sort of pulling you away from God, well, maybe it's a tongue that you can't control, or... Or, or maybe it's a, a grudge that you just can't let go of. Somebody's hurt you and you just can't find it in your heart to forgive them. Or maybe it's a husband who hadn't thought about his promises that he made a long time ago, for a long time. Maybe it's a wife who's been cold and distant. Maybe it's an addiction that you've tried so hard but it just can't get past. And you think, how can God ever accept me? How can God ever forgive me? How can I ever get past this? John says, I want you to know he is faithful. 
Turn it over to God. Trust God. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is quite a verse. That's quite a promise. Never forget, He's faithful. You know, we think about who really deserves forgiveness. It's not me. Newsflash, it's not you. We don't deserve to be forgiven because how good we are, how competent we are. We're forgiven because He is faithful. Because God is good. Now, before I sit down, I want to give you just a peek into next week's chapter. Next week we're going to be in chapter 2. But I think the very beginning of that sort of ties into today's thought. Uh, John begins his next thought by saying this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, we read over that, and you've read that before, and you probably don't think very much about it. But look what he says. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. So imagine that you're on trial, and the judge is there, and you're there, and the, the rub is that you're guilty. You're guilty of what you're charged with, and it's a pretty serious offense, and the judge has his gavel in his hand, just ready to wrap it down, and you know, proclaim you guilty as charged. The prosecutor is presented pretty much of an airtight case. On top of that, your lawyer hadn't even shown up yet. He's supposed to give the closing arguments, and he's not even there. How are you feeling right now? Not too good, right? But the doors burst open. Your lawyer comes in very confidently. He walks by you. He gives you a little nod of assurance. He puts his briefcase down on the, on the table there. He looks up at the judge and says, Hey, Dad, how's it going? And the judge looks down and said, Oh, hey, son, I didn't know this was your case. He says, Yeah, it's my case. Dad, I just want you to be aware of the fact that the debt's been paid. Okay? I've made everything right as far as my client's transgression. I've taken care of it. The record's clean. And the judge slash father says, You've taken care of it, son? And your defense attorney says, Yeah, I've taken care of it, Dad. And so the judge smiles and says, so what are we doing here then? Now, I in no way mean to trivialize sin or forgiveness. But the truth is, that's kind of what John is telling us. That Jesus speaks to the Father in our defense. Think about that. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that before. You know, I've, I've had people speak for me sometimes, and sometimes, boy, I'm so happy. You know, really smart people or, or powerful people or, or you know, godly people have spoken on my behalf and, and it's so encouraging. But could you imagine God going to the throne and speaking to the Father on your behalf? Father, I need to talk to you about Tim Stutzman. Could you imagine? I need to talk to you about Gary Richardson. I need to talk to you about Harry McKay. And Jesus having that conversation with the Father? That's exactly what John's saying takes place. That if we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all wrongdoing. That we have, a, we have a, an advocate. That Jesus speaks to the Father on our behalf. 
And the father hears and the father listens and the father responds because he is faithful. I don't want you to leave here this morning without understanding and realizing we serve a God who is faithful, who loves us, and who has kept every promise, and who wants more than anything for us to have a relationship with Him. And that's exactly why Jesus showed up. And that's exactly why Jesus still has our name on His lips as He goes to the Father. That's what John wants us to know. Now, we're going to get more into chapter 2 next week, but for this morning, remember, God is faithful. Whatever's going on in your life, turn it over to Him because He is faithful. Whatever you're wrestling with, I can't get over it, I can't get past it, but you know what? God is faithful, and I'll give it to Him. This morning, if we can help you in any way, if we can pray with you, pray for you, there'll be some people here at the front, meet us here, we'd love to pray with you about it. Let's stand and sing.